So a friend of mine suffers from recurring nightmares and sleep paralysis, or at least she did um, until we were able to kind of talk through it and figure out what was happening. But about two weeks ago, she brought it up in our group chat, in our quote unquote mastermind group. And uh, she said that she had a dream that something demonic was choking her. And when she woke up, she had like fingerprints, like red marks around her neck where the choking sensation was sort of emanating from um and of course she's telling me this like I'm about to say that she's crazy but I don't judge people um and like I'll use the word crazy in jest but I definitely don't use that word in like in a, in a demeaning um manner because as you guys know like I, I don't think it's cool to label people just because their experiences differ from yours right so I've never had a dream like that um, I've never experienced like psychic manifestations in the physical reality. Um, but that doesn't mean that my reality experience trumps hers or is superior to hers. And that doesn't mean that, you know, she, you know, she's crazy or hallucinating or schizophrenic or whatever label you want to put on another individual who deviates from the norm. So, of course, you guys know how I feel about that. Um, not going to you know, jump on that, um, too much. But when she first said to, you know, told me about it, what was, what is from my experience and not like, um, actual experience, but from things that I've read, I, the first thing that kind of popped into my mind was, I think she was experiencing a, um, a fist, like a manifestation of negative energy. Right. So to me, my, my, instinctive reaction my instinctive response was whatever it is that she's experiencing in her dreams is um and into our reality is a manifestation of like anger or fear or uh, both really but it's a manifestation of negative energy that she had been suppressing and it expresses itself or it was expressing itself while she was conscious uh, semi-conscious or or unconscious as well um and so that's what i said to her and um and she said, you know, her whole life, she's had similar dreams like that. And when she's tried to talk to people about it, you know, particularly her mother, um, she was told that, you know, it was a demon or she had a demonic like entity uh, stalking her. And, you know, when somebody's telling you that they have nightmares um, and the nightmares are so strong that they're literally manifesting themselves in our physical reality, the, the, the least helpful thing to do um to say to a person is to say is to add fuel to the fire and basically say oh oh yeah you're being stalked by a fucking demon right like that's not <laughs> that doesn't help right if you're if a person is having a nightmare even if it didn't manifest itself physically if she's having a nightmare where it's you know she's being chased or she's being pursued or something and she's feeling the fear right you speak to the emotion there the anger the fear the frustration you know, the lack of security that she might be feeling even on her waking life, but don't add to that, right? If you can't remove or take negativity away from a person, then just be quiet and be, you know, be a, a, a good listener. Don't add to that, particularly if you don't know. Um, and, and in previous episodes, I, I've kind of like in the Jesus is a demon episode, I, I kind of touched on this um, topic a little bit um, because we are, we're still echoing um, practices from 2000 years ago, which was um, 
Christianity as it began to emerge in, in, in um, Rome um, and, and to kind of gain followers, what they did was they started to stigmatize quote unquote pagan religion and pagan just meant that it was non-Christian. And so anything that was non-Christian was labeled as pagan. Now, in uh to the greeks and the romans they considered the war their their gods were called daemon um day um from the root word meaning like deus like uh like a god like a good spirit and um mon like daemon being like good so daemon meant like good god or good spirit yeah and um and Socrates actually spoke about him having his daemon and he said it was his daemon it was his good spirit what we would call a label a quote-unquote garden angel he outright just called it a daemon and he said it was his daemon that pretty much allowed him or helped him come to the conclusions and the observations that he had formed and, and led him to the wisdom that he spoke about and ultimately also was with him uh when he faced his uh death at uh the hands of his uh, persecutors and um, so the word daemon um, did not have the negative connotation that Christians have now taken the word you know and sort of corrupted it into um, it was just a spirit that was what we would call like a garden angel um, some people have even gone as far as to say that it was your higher self um, your higher self being your oversoul, like your, your true self that exists, you know, quote unquote, I guess if you want to use modern terms outside of the simulation and kind of steers you this way and that. Um, some people call it your conscious conscience, rather. Um, you can even say it's your intuition, but these are just different labels and different terms that describe the, the uh, uh, I guess, the behavior of your daemon or your higher self or whatever. So once Christianity began to kind of take hold, its leaders um, and uh, Roman leaders that had converted to Christianity allowed and sanctioned um, the demonification, for lack of a better explanation, of non-Christian religions, which at that time there were thousands of them and non-Christian sects and uh, uh, practices and, and, and labeled them as pagan and thus evil. Um, and here we are 2000 years later, more or less still engaging in quote unquote, I would call them barbaric, uh, behaviors and barbaric thought processes. So anything that doesn't fit into the label of Christian is therefore evil and wrong. Um, which in my opinion and in the opinion of a lot of people is kind of fucked up. And so what I said to her was, listen, um, it's not a demon. It's not a, an entity. Demons don't exist. Demon is a corruption of the word daemon. Um, if you study the history of the word and the etymology of the word, you can better understand that basically it's what we understand of the word demon is more or less just a corruption, right? It just was a way of saying, you know, Christianity is right and any other religion that's not Christian is evil, right? And that's that. So demons aren't real. There's no such thing as hell. Uh, hell is a um, is is uh, comes from Hela, which is a Viking uh, Norse god goddess rather of the afterworld. That's where that label hell came from. And like demons, it was something that was in invented. Um, same with moral codes and religion. These are just tools, methods, scare tactics. 
um, programming that were meant to keep people in line and made people, the general masses, easier to control. So I told her there's no such thing, such thing as demons. So if you are experiencing something that is that energetic, that's more than likely you creating that, or it's, a, it's something that you have created and is now expressing itself physically in our reality, but it's tied to you. You created it. It's not something that's haunting you. And so you've got to sit with that and ask yourself, what are you doing in your waking world that's causing the, this buildup of negative energy that's now kind of haunting you, um, you know, or kind of taunting you uh, as you sleep? How are you living? You know, and she said, you know, during the day, especially with the lockdown, she has to interact with her mom, you know, regularly. And her mom is one of the few people that really make her go unconscious, for lack of better phrasing, right? Like her mom really makes her angry. And when she gets angry, she feels this Im immense sort of attack of negative energy and it expresses itself as like, just yelling and anger and sometimes she blacks out and she's you know she yells and she screams and and all of that and you know we, we've all we all get angry so we you can empathize with that and I said you know that feeling that you get when you start to feel anger the next time you start feeling that I want you to really take your mind and completely focus on that feeling because you'll start to see that you, what you're doing as you start to feel anger like it just it's almost like like Naruto or whatever right you start to feel the energy kind of being gathered in that's energy right you've probably ha heard emotions called energy in motion you are generating energy when you see somebody start to get angry to the point where they're shaking or they're vibrating what do you think that is that's you that's your mind generating anger that's energy so if you take that and you're continuously creating this force right eventually it's going to manifest itself psychically as a sort of entity on its own now i was saying all of this just on instinct on intuition i'm the kind of person where this is how my mind works you give me a question I'm like an oracle, right? You know, the oracle computer program, as long as you give it the right question, it can spit out an answer. Um, I'm an oracle. You give me a question and I can give you an answer. And 9.9 .9 times out of 10, it's often accurate. Um, and I don't know where the answers come from, but I know if you pose the right question, for the most part, I can give you an answer. And most often than not, it ends up being an accurate answer. It ends up being true. Um, and if I don't know, then I just say, I don't know. I don't just make up answers just to make up answers. But it, it felt right as I was giving it to her. And what I used to back up that intuitive uh, response was uh, a book that I read um, called The Power of Now that you guys have probably heard of by Eckhart Tolle. And he talked about more or less that same thing, but he didn't phrase it as an anger manifestation. He called it a pain body. And what he described as a pain body was like a parasitic entity that you feed that has been created through you, I guess, experiencing pain. Right. And over the years, as you get older and older and older, that energy kind of helps manifest this entity that then 
acts like a becomes a parasite it's a parasitic and energetic force that now becomes attached to you and it lays dormant looking for situations in which to make you go unconscious hijack your body and then feed off pain not just your pain right not just create situations that will be painful to you so it can feed off the pain but also trigger pain bodies in other people and then feed off of their pain yeah and when he said that like it when I read that I should say it, I started to think and I read this book for the first time like probably over a decade ago the first time I read it um and I remember thinking yo like is this like in a like an energetic parasite it made sense to me because like if you can have a physical parasite right and you guys have heard the uh, episodes I did on parasites um, if you can have a physical parasite, like a tapeworm or virus or, you know, um, like malaria or whatever, right? You can also have, there's no reason why you can't have an energetic or a spiritual or non-corporal parasite as well, right? And so, um, I started like that really kind of like made me think like, okay, like there's something to this. Now I wasn't a hundred percent prepared to accept the fact that there was some sort of spiritual parasite in me that was seeking out, um, pain and feeding off of pain. Um, I wasn't able, I wasn't able to kind of do that, to split myself like that, split my mind like that. And to think that I was infected by a spiritual entity that was like creating painful situations for me. And if you guys listen to, uh, the dark Oracle's guide to the multiverse, uh, the episode 15 is called wake up Neo. I, I, I touch on Tolly's um, hypothesis regarding the pain body, but I, don't make it like an external like parasite. I just call it your, I just kind of say it's your body's um, intelligence, right? So I give it more of a scientific explanation, but it still kind of stayed with me more or less um, that that could be something that's possible. So when she talked to me about that dream that she had, and this is not the first time she's had a dream like this before. She has a lot of sleep paralysis and particularly if she finds, if she falls asleep on her back, then it will happen. And then it's always something frightening and it's always something that she can feel. It's, there's an entity that she can feel and it um, manifests itself in a manner in which uh, it leaves physical markings on her body. And of course, and I'm sure some of you listening to that would be like, oh my God, that's a demon. Well, demon is a label that somebody came up with, somebody that's not you came up with to explain a, a psi phenomenon that they didn't understand. And because they have a spiritual, particularly Christian background, um, they just slapped that label demon and that was that. But it doesn't, a label doesn't really explain something. It's just a label. And what labels do is they imprison your mind and force your mind to look into just one explanation of something when other explanations do exist. And so I really wanted to take her off that explanation of it's a demon and it's evil and just say, well, it's just an anger. It's just a manifestation of your, your energetic anger over the years, particularly towards, you know, maternal energy. And you've been feeding that manifestation and now it's angry and it comes out, you know, while you're unconscious kind of thing. But if you can create it, you can also destroy it. Okay. So that was two weeks ago. Now, 
I've said in this podcast before and regular listeners will attain to this, like I, my life is sort of backwards where I'll, I will say something and then verbatim, I will come across something that, like a book or a, 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 an article or something that basically restates exactly what I just said, like on a podcast um, after the fact. And this just keeps happening so much so that I'm starting to think that um, like I'm, I'm having like I'm having like a weird like Benjamin Button kind of life experience. That's one uh, situation where it's like, am I like aware of am I like really deeply aware of like my whole entire lifespan because I've lived this life before. And so I'm just remembering things that I've already experienced. Right. Like, say, for example, like, let's say I read a I end up like what I'm talking to you guys about, like right now, right? I've read about in a book a year from now, right? But my mind is remembering something that I will experience in the future. I'll say that again. My mind is remembering something that I will experience in the future. They do say that the brain is a quantum computer, so I don't see that as being improbable. The way like 5G technology is said to work, work at least according to the things that I've read about it, is that what quantum computing specifically, what com- quantum computers do is they communicate with other versions of themselves across parallel multiverses. And so if a quantum computer can do that and your brain is a quantum computer, then why wouldn't I be able to communicate with a future version of my own mind? It's my own mind, right? Like I was thinking like even this morning I was thinking about painting. Like why am I feverishly like if I don't paint, like I paint every day. Today I didn't paint because I've just been so busy that I felt that, okay, I needed to take a day off. But because I didn't paint, I felt literally like restless and um, uncomfortable. Like I feel like skipping a day just feels like not taking a shower, skipping a shower or not brushing your teeth for a day. It just doesn't feel right. But I feel like I've got to take a day off, you know, and just chill, like just let my body kind of recoup. So I've been trying to work off that excess like energy that would normally go towards a creative process, right? Which I would normally uh, impress upon like my canvas or whatever and to get rid of that. But I, I, I don't have an expression for that. So I was like, you know what, just go record a podcast. At least it's something creative. Just get that out there, you know, to release it. Um, but I was thinking like what, obviously I, in the future will need as many paintings as I'm creating now, a future version of myself knows that I'm going to need for whatever reason, all the paintings that I'm feverishly painting right now. You got to start looking at your life, not from like, not linearly and not from left to right, but from right to left, from, from start thinking about what you're doing now and what, why you are doing it and what that, what the consequences of what you're doing now, consequences, not the right word, more like what the results are or have been or will be 
about what you're doing now, right? Like you're working out, like say you work out feverishly, you're working out feverishly now because there's a future version of yourself that's gonna be buff, that is buff. And so you sort of have to do the work to get yourself there because it, it, that's that's your future self. And so you're communicating and co-creating yourself with future versions of yourself. That's not so far-fetched. I mean, they say your human body changes like, you know, constantly. And the, the cells that you have now are not the same cells that you had when you were born. I forget how many years they say like your skin cells like rejuvenate, but you're not the same person that you were yesterday. You're not the same person. Your body is not even the same body that it was when you were born. So like, why would well, these are all separate entities, but still you, then why wouldn't you be able to, even within just one universe, you should theoretically be able to communicate with all versions of yourself across your entire life span. Um, so anyway, I, I don't, I'm trying to remember why <laughs> the topic, um, but yeah, so, so I said that to her and I said, you know, this is what intuitively I'm guessing. It's a, this is an entity that you've created using your psychic energy. And then, um, as you know, as on cue, uh, it was a two weeks later, I went on a search. I was just doing like a random Google search and I found, um, something I learned about something called a tulpa. Okay. That's like Tulsa, like Tulsa, Oklahoma, but with a P T U L P A. And I'm, I'm pulling it up right now so I can read it to you, um, of what a Tulpa is. Okay. And see, okay, here we go. All right. So this is on Wikipedia. Um, spiritualist, Alexandra David Neal claimed to have observed these mystical practices in 20th century Tibet. She described tulpas as magic formations generated by a powerful concentration of thought. Magic formations generated by a powerful concentration of thought. Somebody named David Neal. Oh, it's the same person. Sorry. Uh, she believed that tulpas could develop a mind of its own. Once the tulpa is endowed with enough vitality to be capable of playing the part of a real being, it tends to free itself from its maker's control. This, say Tibetans, happens nearly mechanically just as the child, when his body is completed and able to live apart, leaves its mother's womb. She, she claimed to have created such a tulpa in the image of a jolly friar talk-like monk, which later developed a life of its own and had to be destroyed. David Neal raised the possibility that her experience was illusory she says, I may have created my own hallucination. 
though she claimed that others could see the thought forms that she had created. Now that's just from Wikipedia. So I took that as a starting point and I delved in deeper after that. Um, and I'll get back to that, um, to uh, David Neal um, in, a, in a bit. Um, but there was also something, another thing that I saw. Um, so there's something else called a thought form, all one word, thought form. The Western occult understanding of the concept of thought form is believed by some to have originated as an interpretation of the Tibetan cult concept of tulpa. The concept is related to the Western philosophy and practice of magic, says citation needed. Occultist William Walker Atkinson in his book, The Human Aura, I don't like the label occult, occultist, That's I normally would leave that out because um, it frames your mind, right? If you put that label occultist and some people stop listening. Um, but anyway, he wrote in this book and he described thought forms as simple ethereal objects emanating from the auras surrounding people, generating from their thoughts and feelings. He further elaborated on clairvoyance and occult powers, how experienced practitioners of, of, um, of the practices can produce thought forms from their auras that serve as astral projections blah, 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 whatever. I'm more, more likely, I just like the word thought form as one word because I feel like it really speaks to what I was talking to her about. Like it's, you know, all these negative thoughts that she's had over the years have manifested, and I'm talking about, about my friend's dream, um, have manifested themselves or itself into an entity that is now more or less kind of becoming um, devious for lack of a better word. Now, if that, if that Wikipedia write-up was not, you know, strong enough, I, um, I also stumbled across, uh, howstuffworks.com article. Yeah. And the article, this is on howstuffworks.com. And the article is called Tulpas, Thoughts That Can Come Alive. This was written by Diana Brown in June 5th, 2018. And it is said that tulpas are entities generated entirely in the mind. And some believe tulpas think on their own, experience emotions and have memories. Yeah. And so the article starts off by talking about, you know, imaginary friends as children. Um, however, there is an ancient idea that's gaining more and more traction in our modern world. And I like the way this article is phrased compared to the Wikipedia, but I'll, I'll go on. It is the idea that given enough thought and focus, yeah, we can actually create real sentient beings. They are known as tulpas, beings or objects that are created in someone's imagination by visualization. So now they they this article quotes quotes uh, a podcast called Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. And it says that their hosts of that podcast, Ben Bolin and Noel Brown, chat with their quote unquote imaginary friend, Matt Frederick, about all all these things imaginary. And in that episode of their podcast titled, Can a Thought Be Alive? That includes everything from hallucinations and schizophrenia to psychology and topaz. All right. Are you intrigued yet? 
Um, so it says in the article, tulpas are not the same as imaginary friends or hallucinations. Children tend to summon their imaginary friends and typically control them. And for the most part, kids usually know these imaginary friends are not real. Though imaginary friends were at one time viewed as a detriment to a child's psychiatric health, scientists have made major turnarounds and they say that they, it helps a child learn empathy and share um, nourishing, uh, nurturing skills. Hallucinations, on the other hand, are uncontrollable and those who experience them um, also often feel that the hallucination can ex exert control over that person um, in the case when someone has schizophrenia described, you know, uh, being instructed to harm others. And so where do tulpas fit in? Well, like imaginary friends, tulpas are entities generated entirely in the mind. But unlike imaginary friends or hallucinations, tulpas think on their own, experience emotions, and have memories. Tulpas generate personalities, desires and curiosities, all of their own, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, quite separate from their host. Now, here's uh, David Neal again, but this is a different perspective from the Wikipedia uh, page. So Alexandra David Neal is described as a French explorer and Buddhist, Alexandra David Neal. She wrote that Topaz will eventually leave the host's body so you are the host for this tulpa, which kind of ties itself to what I was, you know, thinking in regards to Eckhart Tolle's pain body. Um, so eventually leave the host's body like a child leaves the womb. She herself claimed to have made a tulpa that grew more and more sinister until it eventually had to be destroyed. Hmm. Right. So. What's really going on, the article says, can our thoughts really come to life? And if so, what are the implications? If not, are people simply creating manifestations of their subconsciousness and then attributing it to another being? I mean, I don't see how that's different um, from a topa, but they say you should check out the, um, the podcast to find out. I haven't had the chance to listen to that podcast yet, um, just to see what they're talking about, but it does sound interesting. So I stumbled across that and I thought that was interesting. And then I thought, um, let me check out YouTube. And I found this one video on YouTube where it's called, you know, what are tulpas? And um, I scrolled down to the comments just to see what people were saying. And I half expected people to be like, um, this is absolutely crazy. I did not find that. I found a lot of people talking very nonchalantly about, yeah, no, I totally created a tulpa and, um, I've been doing this for years. I have one, yada, yada, yada. And I didn't know the name of it. And I thought I was going crazy. And I was like, wow, this is, this is interesting. So if you're interested, check it out. Okay. So, um, <laughs> I just bought a new mic and, uh, it sucks. And, um, it sucks because I just realized that of the 57 minutes that I recorded, um, in this podcast, uh, as I went to go upload the episode, um, I noticed that 15 minutes was just dead air missing. Um, so uh, it was in the center of the podcast. I have to kind of try to re-record it and remember what it was that I was talking about. The problem is that I don't, there's very, very few episodes where I actually write out my what I'm talking about. For the most part, it's just off the top of my head. 
Um, so uh, bear with me as I try to remember what it was that I was talking about um, and kind of pull it together. Um, so I started out talking about um, tulpas and thought forms, yeah? And so the center of this episode, I started to talk about hallucinations. I wanted to really break that down. And I remember referencing uh, Hallucinations, the book by Oliver sex and in it he talks about different types of hallucinations there are hallucinations that are brought on by um people sort of losing their mental faculties um there are also hallucinations caused by people becoming um disabled like losing their sight and their hearing so they have auditory hallucinations but there was one story in particular about a woman so an elderly woman who as she'd gotten older she'd lost her friends and she was relatively lonely and she remember i i remember her telling or talking to Oliver Sacks about how every day at like six o'clock at night she would have a boyfriend that was purely a manifestation of her consciousness it was a psychic creation um come and visit her and then she would literally have sex with this with this entity um I know what you're thinking automatically like that's a fucking demon <laughs> but you're thinking demon because that's what your mind is programmed to think when you think of something that's a non-corporeal entity interacting with a person. And um, I want to address the idea of where um, the word demon comes from. I don't remember if I even spoke about it in the earlier part of this podcast, but in case I didn't, I will um, dive into that. I've spoken about it before. But the word demon more or less comes from um, the Roman word, um, no, Greek word, uh, daemon. And a daemon, day, as in deus, as in Greek word for, I believe it's Greek, it might be Roman, um, but bear with me, it's either Greek or Roman, uh, deus, for um, God. And then daemon really meant a good spirit or a good God. And um, in the Greek and Roman times, um, a daemon was considered what we would consider like a, a garden angel, and it was said to kind of guide you through your life and Socrates um, said that a lot of his um, inspiration and his wisdom came from his daemon um, through time people have come to call that daemon a, a sort of euphemism for one's higher self one's over soul um, one's true self uh, it's also been known as your conscience or your as Christians would call it, uh, your um, guardian angel. So it depends on who you're talking to, but it would never had a negative connotation at the time in which the word was, you know, first originated. It only became negative because of Christians. Um, there is a book, The Great Courses, is a Great Courses um, lecture given by, uh, I believe his name is Hans Mueller. And the book is called um, uh, Pagans. It's a great courses. Um, I would suggest you talk, um, you check it out. But in that, he talks about how things became pagan. And pagan, more or less, gets basically just means not Christian. So as Christianity began to emerge um, and Christians began to hold power, what became the norm was to take things uh religions and gods that were not christian and label it as pagan and pagan was actually a 
um, derogatory term. It was meant to lessen and demean people of other cultures. I mean, and other religious practices and sort of place uh, Christianity above other people. So that's where that um, terminology came from. And then that practice of raising its religion above others, it also literally demonized or demonized other gods and called them evil. Um, and so that's where you get the term um, demon from with the negative connotation that we have now. So demons were not, did not always have the negative connotation that it has now. And um, to go back to the lady uh, that hallucinated the her basically a boyfriend, I think that if Oliver Sacks had experience or an understanding or had even heard of the terminology of a tulpa with its, you know, Buddhist and Tibetan ties um, or esoteric and cultural ties, he probably would have set that lady's story aside from all the other stories because of the fact that if you listen to how it's described, she has this entity, she manifests the entity. It's not out of her control. Right. Whereas all the other examples in the in, in described in the book were entities that were out of the experiencer's control. But she had a desire, which was for a boyfriend. Right. She was lonely and she used her mind to create a, to feel a need. And she was able to manifest a being that would then basically service her needs. So that to me sounds more by definition um of like sounds more like a tulpa than it does um, just a common hallucination. And unfortunately, right now we live in times that where we're programmed to just dismiss things that don't fit into the status quo, the current, you know, present understanding of how the human mind works. And you know, there's a lot of fear around that. There's a lot of um, superstition around basically psychic manifestations what the human mind is 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 capable of truly capable of the true powers of the human mind has been to use the word demonized right um and until we really approach the practice and we really approach the phenomenon more you know take a more scientific approach to it it's going to go largely um misunderstood um but it it definitely warrants you know photo study so this is the paper you hear is uh is i wrote down stuff that i was like oh, i know i know i talked about this now so i want to go over that so i talked about pagan's um, great courses and let's see here what does it say uh gods or topas um before i actually go to to go into my that theory i want to talk go back to um the idea um you know, of my friend. So as we continued to talk and she was talking about, um, you know, her dream, she also told me about when she went back to Mexico, um, there was this house and the house seemed to be frequented by like a little tiny pygmy dwarf negative entity demon thing. Yeah. And she said that her and her cousin could see it, but other people could not. And as a result of that, like, I think they spent one night there and they saw it. And from that point on, um, they just don't go to that house anymore. And if they do, they don't stay there overnight. Um, to me, based on that definition, it's also a talpa. What is fascinating to me is that um, I hear all, a lot of those type of stories from people who live in countries 
where there is a collective belief in the spiritual in the spiritual world and in, in in or what is called the spiritual world but more likely could be classified as psychic manifestations of non-corporeal entities um in nigeria um my mom and her sister they've told me stories they had no reason to lie about lie to me about it or lie about it in general of just crazy things that they'd seen and experienced people turning into animals and turning from animals back into people and things like that like they experience reality different from the way we experience reality. Um, and I think it's because collectively there's a greater belief in those sort of entities. And so it's like that those those environments are literally ripe, right? They're perfect environments that are ripe for these tulpas to manifest. Um, and now I guess, you know, the question kind of pre- presents itself or presented itself like, you know, are you interested by you, I mean me, you know, am I interested in creating a topa and taking that and manifesting something positive out of it? And my response to that is, uh, hell fucking no. Like, no, like I'm not, like, first of all, um, I'm not saying that everything, every, every topa has to be negative or sinister yeah um from what i list from what i read on that youtube comments it seems like a lot of people actually got positive uses out of those entities they their minds had created um whether it's company or companionship whether it's a protection or or whatever you want to call it you know it seems like there are some people who had have positive experiences with that that being said most people's experiences with these creatures um, tend to actually be negative eventually. And the way I see it, I don't think that by nature they are negative. I think what's happening is that if you don't have a handle on your emotions, which I think is why these topas were harnessed by Tibetan monks, because they spend countless hours of their lives working on controlling their emotions. I mean, they're Buddhists, so they work on controlling their emotions and being non-reactive and things like that so that they don't accidentally manifest, you know, negative um, energy, negative entities, you know? So to go back to my friend, it's like she definitely has a psychic ability. She has a strong, first of all, she's got strong beliefs, right? And it's the strong beliefs in these things just brought on by, you know, her growing up and things of that nature or where she's grown up, I should say, and what's been instilled in her mind by her parents and her family, she believes in these things. And because she has that belief, that's fertile ground for the manifestations of those things. So it works for that, but she doesn't have any control over it. And to me, that's just risky. Um, it's hard enough as it is, you know, on a daily basis, seeking to control your own self. Yeah. To control your own negative energy. Right. So what I mean by that is, and I don't know if I said this earlier, but I'll say it again. You know, when you sit and you feel anger, right. When you feel angry, that energy emotions are called emotions because it's literally energy in motion. The next time you start yourself, start to feel yourself, get angry, feel that. Bring your consciousness to that and like literally feel the power, the force that comes out of the manifestation of that anger. And when it comes out as a shout or a scream or a punch, I mean, like that is a force. Yeah. And if you take that and you somehow inadvertently are channeling that energy 
towards the creation of some sort of entity that holds a psychic bond to you, it could eventually become, and it does, it seems like that's the case, that it does eventually become something dangerous. Right? I don't know if I if I have reference um Eckhart Tolle's pain body earlier, because I don't know what got cut off, but if I haven't, I'll go over go over it briefly. But when when Eckhart Tolle talks about the pain body and the power of now, he says like you know these things like they it, it, it's uh, psychic energy that creates them, and it's consciousness that dissipates them, yeah. But with you feeding them over the years with your energy, you eventually create a parasite that kind of bonds to you, and then it takes over you, and then kind of becomes you right it makes you it forces you to go unconscious it takes over your body and then it acts out um, circumstances and situations wherein you are unconscious and it's just going around wrecking havoc not only you know causing pain for yourself but also making choices that harm other people and cause pain in other people so that they can then feed off of that energy before going dormant um why the fuck would i want to fuck with that I'm not a Tibetan monk, you know, it's like fire, right? It's like, I, it's like, okay, I can sit and think, okay, I'm going to sit in a forest, which is basically a dry forest. Yeah. Is fertile ground for a good fire. And I could say to myself, I'm going to strike this match and throw it in here, but I'm going to control it. I don't have any training in that. So why would I even try to mess with that? You know? I don't even put my mind to that level. I I can respect the fact that people have the abilities to do that. I just, I'm not going to allow my mind to even shift to that because I'm just, I'm creative just in general. And most people I think are. I think that if you take a step back and look at your life, you'll recognize and realize that everything that you've experienced in your life so far has been, for better or worse, your creation. You've either said something fucked up and manifested it, manifested it rather, or you've, you know, thought of something or envisioned your life in some way for better or worse, and now the life that you're living is the life that you, for better or worse, chosen. You're more powerful than you realize, right? Why would I then want to take that kind of power and and channel it externally towards an entity that I'm going to eventually lose control of? I mean, if a a woman, Alexandra, who is trained with Tibetan monks, lost control of it eventually, right? And manifested to the point where other people could see it. And then it eventually became sinister. And I'm just regular Joe, <laughs> you know, just trying to make myself conscious and control my temper and control my emotions, right? Why, why would I create chaos? That's literally what you're doing. You're, you're creating psychic chaos, which will eventually then sort of turn on you. I would rather knowingly know that, okay, I do have, start with the premise that I do have creative powers. We all do. All human beings do right? From a cook to a chef to a painter 
to a person who's capable of manifesting tulpas or thought forms. The mind is more powerful than we realize. The mind is more powerful than we give, give it credit for. Yeah. So if I've got that ability and it's creative, why would I take that and channel it into something that could eventually turn on me? Why wouldn't I take that and take that energy and redirect it towards creating a better version of myself, creating a better self, creating, manifesting my higher self in this reality, healing myself? Why take that energy and externalize it when I could push it, pull it back into me and heal me? I feel like that's a better use, you know, of my time. I I do remember also in the episode that went dark um, or went blind, uh, talking about there was a movie that I'm going to tell you the premise of it. I can't I can't tell you the title of it, but it features um, that girl, the blonde lady who was in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Yeah, she's in it and she plays a nurse in Louisiana and uh it's like a scary movie or it's like a mystery slash haunting movie and she's like in charge of these caretakers and there's like ghosts that are like that have possessed people's bodies or they can take people's bodies and like transfer consciousness and nothing happens nothing happens nothing happens um and then spoiler alert towards the end nothing happens because she doesn't believe in them so what these things do what these individuals do is then they go out of their way to make her believe in them and then the moment she believes in them they are then able to hijack her consciousness and then use her belief in them to more or less exploit her belief in them and basically possess her body and uh, that's the end so what i got from that was it's not it's not the power of the curse right it's the power that you give the curse right she gave it power by giving it belief. You know, there's a lot that goes into belief. So, like, to kind of reiterate, like, why is it that, like, in countries, like, you hear stories, right? If you talk to people from different countries, like Venezuela, Mexico, Nigeria, you know, Portugal, they'll, they'll, Iran, they'll tell you, especially, you know, older people, they'll tell you crazy, quote-unquote crazy, not really crazy, but you know what I mean, like, wild stories, of things that they've seen that, you know, the average American would not believe in a hundred years, but they tell it with some conviction that you'd have to conviction that you have to kind of believe that they experienced it or whatever it is that they're talking about. But the reason why is because the reason why they're experiencing these sort of unreal or surreal things is because those places are filled with people that who also believe in the spiritual and the supernatural so it's fertile ground for the manifestations of tulpas yeah um i to reference back the the book um pagans the great courses uh pagans by uh, hans Mueller, um lecture rather by hans Mueller. um he talked about how uh the romans the way the way they were able to conquer um and dominate civilization for as long as they did was they would go to different regions and provinces and they they would literally just kind of take over and collect taxes but they would allow the people there to keep their gods 
so long as they kind of channeled they would channel the forces of their gods towards the enrichment of the Roman Empire. So they didn't go in and try to force people to convert to Roman gods. They actually encouraged people's beliefs in these different gods. And they made sure that people sac- continued to sacrifice to their gods so long as it was in the name of uh, Rome. And I mean, whether or not you believe in that stuff, history shows that the Romans were one of one of the greatest, you know, empires of all of, you know, modern history. And some can argue that we even right now presently are living still in a type of a Roman empire that has just kind of spread um, across the seven continents. Um, So it never really died. You can make that argument. And I kind of wonder if on some level, the Romans understood the power of collective beliefs in, you know, entities, particularly gods. You know, they say that God created man in our, in uh, his image, but it's also said that man creates God, man creates God, and man creates God in his image. So if you look at all these gods throughout, you know, history, they're all, they all have very human characteristics. And if you take that and you couple that with the definition of a tulpa, and it you know, I think uh, Alexander in her, um, that was referenced, it says she compares a tulpa to like a mother in a womb. There's a connection there. So if, if, a, if a tulpa kind of feeds off of uh, its creator before it kind of separates and becomes, it becomes its own kind of sentient thing, then it would make sense why these gods, these non-corporeal entities that we worship collectively as gods would also be very powerful tulpas created by the collective belief and manifestations of a collective consciousness, like a society and people. Um, It would also make sense why once Christianity sort of started to rise in the Roman civilization, um, you also saw the decline of the Roman civilization because they went from having these collective beliefs in these many gods, um, and you could argue these many tulpas that were protecting the empire, and then it shifted to the the Jewish and the uh the Christian god god just the one you know monotheism um and with that you saw the decline of the roman civilization or I should say the roman empire not civilization like i said there are echoes of that now so that's kind of food for thought i mean if you look at it from a purely historical perspective you could say well this happened and this is the reason why this happened and you could talk about the different um dictators and um you know all the failures that happened there um but you can also look at it from an esoteric perspective and say well you know maybe there was something to be said about having uh, the the guidance and the force of, um, I should say, the guardians guardianship, uh, and the force of these uh, tulpas, and they were able to they the Romans were able to kind of control them, um, and appease them by making sacrifices, however barbaric, you know, human and animal sacrifices to these entities, um. And that was how they fed them and controlled them. And then in return, these tulpas, what we know of as gods, these tulpas would protect the Romans and make sure that they were successful in their campaigns and in their wars and things of that nature, right? There's something to be said about that. Um, And um, 
you know, something to, you know, to look into. I decided to look up my mass psychogenic illness, mass hysteria, um, just to see if you could, if there is such a thing as like psychosomatic illnesses that affect the masses. And sure enough, I stumbled across something called MPI, which is my mass psychogenic illness um, or mass sociogenic illness. Um, it's uh, epidemic, epidemic hysteria or mass hysteria. It is defined as the rapid spread of illness, signs and symptoms affecting members of a cohesive group originating from a nervous system disturbance involving excitation, loss or alter, alteration of function whereby physical complaints that are exhibited unconsciously have no corresponding physical symptoms, physical, not symptoms, um, ideology. Yeah. Does that sound like what's kind of happening right now? Huh? Cause here's the thing. There was, um, I guess for me, I just, I just always thought that when this, when this started, it was like, they would just, they started like broadcasting the symptoms, but the symptoms would change. And it was almost like they were telling you, they were trying to program people with what the symptoms were. And of course my, my mind, um, I don't want to say I'm paranoid, but the way my mind works is like, why are you putting out these symptoms? Like, yes, you could say, well, they're telling people what to look for, but you know, if, if advanced ARDS, um, which is acute respiratory disorder syndrome is, you know, shortness of breath and, um, and the fever and everything like that, they're basically flu-like symptoms. And then it kind of, uh, gets worse. Um, you know, they could have stuck with that, but they were like throwing random symptoms just to see what would stick almost. And I felt intuitively that they were just telling people things just to see if they would psychically manifest these symptoms. And I know for a fact, cause just from talking for my friends, like they said that every time they watched the news, like the next day they found themselves manifesting the symptoms that they were being told to be afraid of, you know? And when I would tell them like, yo, like you're doing that to yourself, then they would tell themselves, okay, I'm creating these symptoms. And then the, 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 the headache or the cough or the cold or whatever would go away. You know, if, if this can happen, I mean, th these are facts, they have been cases of mass hysteria and sicknesses affecting large collective collectives of people, um, in a, in a community. How do we know that that's not what's happening right now? I've actually read of cases like in a school. Um, I, I thought I saved it for the podcast, but I didn't. However, if you go on DuckDuckGo and you search like mass psychosomatic illnesses, you'll find lots of, um, instances of this happening. Um, I'm not trying to, you know, throw conspiracy theories at you. I'm just trying to give you something to think about only because if you don't know, right, if you don't know that this is something that your mind is capable of, then how can you protect yourself?
from it, right? Or from somebody kind of imposing their will or their programming on, on you, right? Two things. So the first thing is to know that, you know, if you are constantly generating negative energy and you are, you have a powerful psychic mind or, you know, or just, you just come from a genetically, you come from a culture, I should say, that's culturally psychic, you can manifest negative entities that could, you know, harm, that could become harmful. You know, and of course, in the West, they would label that as psychosis or schizophrenia or whatever, but it could just be psychosomatic. It could just be you creating a quote unquote tulpa with all your negative energy. So I'm bringing that to your attention so that you're aware of that and so that you know, okay, well, if I'm capable of creating something negative, a negative entity, I can do the opposite, right? I can transmogrify that. I can alchemize that. I can turn something negative into something positive there's one and then two just going forward you know the next time something like this happens with the covid and you start noticing them pumping out symptoms maybe stop and ask yourself that look why are they doing this because if this is if this is information that's out there the people who are programming people like the TV programs and that are running the media and everything like that and are shooting these things out there they know they know what the human mind is you know capable of it's the reason why they are 24 7 running these stories because they want this to happen and they know that they can turn it off at any point because all they have to do is now go on the TV when they're good and ready and start telling people good news and they can program people to stop manifesting symptoms. If you can, if they can program you by you watch, if you can watch the news and they tell you if you're coughing, if you're, you know, this, that, and everything else, you know, these are the symptoms. And then as you're watching it, um, you're kind of being hypnotized more or less, right? These are suggestions, hypnotic suggestions. Tell me they're not. So if they can program you to manifest illnesses, which you guys have all experienced, I know you have, because come on, in the last couple of months of the lockdown, you haven't felt yourself sniffling and coughing and all these other symptoms, like, and you haven't been afraid, it's happened. We've all been there. Um, They know that when they're getting ready to turn it off, all they have to do now is go on TV and do the opposite and start saying, Oh, uh, turns out the weather um, does kill, hot weather does kill the COVID. Um, there are less cases now, more and more people are getting over, more and more people are recovering. There's a reason why they weren't there. They weren't in the past telling about the people recovering because they were trying to ramp, trying to use the power of the mind, collective mind against itself because they're, they're they're steering people you know it's like hurting you're hurting the masses i've given you a lot to think about think about it it's not a, this is not you know obviously it's not meant to be political it's just meant to make you aware that these things exist and i've said in previous episodes you know we have been told 
that, you know, what I'm talking, things like topas and psychic energy and out of body experiences and self healing and things of that nature, um, aren't true, but, or aren't real, but that's not true. I mean, placebo effect, you can Google that. If you don't believe anything else that I've said, just go in and type in and research the placebo effect just on its own. And you find that they can't explain it. It's something that they know that if you can convince a person that you've given them a cure, their body will heal itself just based on the belief. So clearly they know that the body can heal itself. And if the body can heal itself, it can also harm itself. That's what autoimmune disorders are on a pure, purely scientific level um, or a microbiologist level. But there's also what that's also what psychosomatic illnesses are. So go and search for psychosomatic illnesses as well. Educate yourself. The information's out there for free. Um, it's just you need to know what you as an individual are capable of. Because once you start to know that you are powerful, you can now start to harness that power and use it to create the life that you want instead of having external circumstances move you this way and that. And instead of accidentally manifesting a negative life, manifesting negativity for yourself, manifesting hell for yourself. If you can create hell for yourself, you can also create heaven for yourself. You have the power. It's all in your mind.